The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded January 15, 2019. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to the February edition of Life in the Tax Lane. And as all our viewers notice and are doubtless cheering, the bow tie is back. <laughs> However, we have a new gap, unfortunately, this month. Kate was not able to join us, but... We have a replacement. Uh, she was feeling a little green, uh, so that's why we've got a green dinosaur to replace her. So she'll pipe in whenever necessary. <laughs> well, Joe, let's talk about the principal residence exemption. The gains on sure. sale of our house is tax-free. That should be pretty easy to deal with, right? Well, okay, the concept is this. When you when you sell a property, and let's call it an acreage or something bigger, uh, your building plus half a hectare of property is eligible for the exemption. Now, if you have property that's bigger than that, it may be eligible as well, just as long as it is necessary for the use and enjoyment of the house. Now, the question is, what does that mean? We had a case recently where an individual had a wood lot beside his home, and he argued that, hey, I use the wood from the forest here to heat my house, keep it warm, so it's necessary for it. And the judge said, good try, better luck next time. Uh, that's not going to be good enough, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why he came to that conclusion, but that's what it was. Now, we have seen the judges in other situations say, hey, if you've got bigger land, because that extra piece of land is used for the road to get to the public access point, the public road, well, then that's okay, that's necessary. Or if the minimum lot size is X amount and you can't subdivide, well, then that's okay. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, we're, we're bumping up against walls here. I guess it's green energy, Joe. Uh, well, the other issue we've had recently on the principal residence exemption, prior to 2016, mm -hmm. 2015 and back, I sold my house. The rule said the whole gain was exempt. CRA said, don't bother telling us about it. We don't want to hear about it. Mm. 2016, the rules changed. We've got to disclose all real estate dispositions. And CRA said, well, I guess that means we've got to change our processes. You've got to disclose the sale of your residence, and you've got to designate it as your principal residence. So what if I missed that in 2016, 2017? Well, then, technically, I didn't designate the property as my principal residence. Taxable. CRA could come back and tax me on the gain. Mm -hmm. Ouch. But not to worry because you can designate late. Under the taxpayer relief provisions, all you have to do is ask permission and send your check for $100 per month late to a maximum $8,000. Don't know that I'm feeling that much better, but CRA has said from the outset of these changes, hey, there's gonna be a learning curve. We get that. We're gonna generally allow these late designations and we're normally gonna waive the penalty early on as people learn this unless the situation is truly egregious. You were obviously trying to pull a fast one. But how long will that special dispensation go on? They said, for sure, 2016. Last summer, they updated their website to say, and 2017. Haven't said anything yet about 2018. Uh, if you missed disclosing one of these sales, I would get in ASAP and get it fixed before their generosity expires. At some point, they're going to think the rules have been uh, in place long enough that people should know them. Well, let's uh, get out of the houses and get into our vehicles, Hugh. Oh, boy. And every year between Christmas and New Year's, the Department of Finance tells us what next year's maximum deductible allowances will be for employers paying their employees per kilometer for use of their vehicles. And this year, wow, Joe, it went up three cents a kilometer. I think that's unbelievable. 
precedent. It's carbon tax, Hugh. It's what that gotta is. be the carbon mm -hmm. tax. Uh, so how much can I pay now and get the full deduction? Well, that would be 62 cents a kilometer for the first uh, 5,000 kilometers a year. Then it drops six cents to 58 cents. Am I doing my math right there, You're John? not. You got it backwards. It's, it's 58 is the top. 58 is the top and 52. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of the territories where we get an extra four cents per kilometer. So Get it together, Hugh. Maximum deductions. <laughs> and often we wonder, will they change the limit for how much, how expensive a vehicle I can depreciate? Mm. Nope, still 30,000. Yep. How much I can pay in lease payments? Nope, still 800 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's only been since the start of the 21st century. So. There can't have been any inflation in that brief a period of time, can there? All right, sarcasm aside, let's move on to the next point here. Uh, travel incentives. So we had an interesting situation where uh, there was a mining company uh, that actually had employees who were located across the country. And what it did was it had a primary pickup point in Edmonton and it chartered a flight to Yellowknife and then to the mine. So it provided that for its workers, but it also gave a travel incentive to its workers so they could get to Edmonton. Now the question is, is that a taxable benefit or not? Well, the first thing you have to ask is, is Edmonton a remote work location? Because there is an exception there and the answer is no, there's more than a thousand people there. So that's the first thing. Now, is it a special work site? That's the other possibility. To be a special work site, it essentially has to be a temporary work location that is really far from the place that you live. In this situation, yes, it could be, but the court chimed in and said, well, hold on. Is it really a work location at all? No, it's just a pickup point. Therefore, it's not a special work site. Therefore, you don't get this. And also, they did say that the travel amount paid wasn't reasonable anyways. And the reason for that was because it was calculated as a percentage of the worker's salary rather than tied directly to the travel cost or a per kilometer amount. So out of luck in that situation. Joe, it seems like we see a lot of CRA commentary and court backing them up that mm -hmm. when you commute, that's a personal cost. Sure. Whether you're commuting from the north side of the city to work downtown or the east coast of the country to the prairies to charter a flight to your remote work location, you chose where to live, you chose how close it would be to where you work. Those are your costs. Uh, Joe, one other area we're seeing CRA clamp down on is those T5018 forms that are supposed mm. to be issued to uh, by companies in construction to not their employees, but their subcontractors providing construction services. And uh, in the past, it seemed like Syria would come in and say, oh, you should be doing this, please correct that, but they weren't hitting the penalties. Well, we just saw, to my knowledge, the first court case where they did assess the penalty, and the company tried to argue that, no, 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 we weren't in construction. We didn't do the construction. Mm -hmm. We just instructed a general contractor to build a whole big building full of residential suites mm -hmm. that we could then sell. We're in the selling of condos business, not the construction of condos business. Uh, well, you know, it sounded like a nice try when I read it, Joe, but I think the judge looked at that and he said, well, first off, they wouldn't have built the building without your detailed instructions. So yes, you were involved in the construction. And if nobody constructed it, you wouldn't have anything to sell. So really, your business is both the construction and the sale of residential condos. That means you're in construction. That means you were supposed to file these forms. 
and that means the 2500 buck penalty stands. Yeah, your income primarily has to come from construction, like you're saying, building it was a key mm -hmm. part, and that was enough. So moving on to the next item here, uh, shared custody situations. So uh, you've got a relationship breakdown, uh, you've got the, the Canada child, or you've got the, the child tax benefit, and the question is, can you split it between the two couple, or the two individuals? And if the child is living with each on an equal or near equal basis, then yes, it gets split between the two of them. Now, the courts in the past have said that 40% is the threshold. You've got to be at least 40%. We just saw a case come out which actually shifted the needle a bit, and 45%, approximately 45% was what they said it had to be at least each person. Uh, this was an informal case, so it's not precedential, but uh, there is extra risk there, so we have to keep our eyes open. And Joe, based on the dollar amounts of the child benefit, I don't think we'll ever see a case that's not informal. Right. So that's a pretty scary one. Well, we've got a lot of issues like that in the tax system. Nobody's quite sure how the rules work, or mm. the rules are really complicated. And as a result, we've had a lot of people calling for a real review of the tax system. Mm. Haven't had one since the Carter Commission back in the 60s that led to the new tax act in 1972, which I will freely confess was before I was practicing in tax. Uh, it was probably before a lot of our viewers were even born, much less practicing in tax. And a lot of groups have backed this up. Most recently, CPA Canada, our Chartered Professional Accountants National Association, released their report on the tax system. And uh, if you weren't sure where they stood, a title like What's so wrong and why it matters should probably tip you it's off. It's pretty clear. They are definitely in favor of a full review of the tax system, and they have listed a number of reasons they have for that. Concerns about, is our tax system competitive mm -hmm. internationally, particularly with the U.S.? Boy, we heard about that lately. Definitely. Does it encourage innovation? Does it encourage investment? Is it too complicated is for the small business complicated? owner? Well, for the small business owner and for everybody else. Does it have too many nitpicky little tax incentives that just clutter up the system and maybe don't actually achieve their goals? If you're interested in this, check it out. Maybe make your comments to your MP. And Joe, I think that's all we have time for this month. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian professionals with practical tax information for over 30 years. Subscribe to one of our tax newsletters or join us as we present live and online seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more details, visit www.videotax.com. That's V-I-D-E-O-T-A-X.com. The preceding information is for general, informational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News Inc. 2019. All rights reserved.